Hello everybody, Chad Belding here with another episode of This Life Ain't For Everybody. Today we're kind of doing something a little different. No guests in the studio. We're going to do this on calling instruction, duck calling to start off with today. In the future we'll move into some short read goose calling, maybe some speckle belly calling. Who knows, we might even go into predator deer turkey calling someday when I get somebody around here that knows how to do that. Um, this sound right here, uh, if you're a duck hunter or a goose hunter, you kind of understand what that is. That's a lanyard with a couple bands on it. And then my elite duck calls and my Tim Ground short reed goose calls. It's kind of what I carry every day in the field. So a lot of people uh, ask me, you know, how many duck calls do you have on your lanyard? How many goose calls do you have on your lanyard? A lot of guys can get by with one call. I think most of us could get by with one duck call or one goose call with the way these things are being made and manufactured and tuned these days. I probably do it more for, I don't know, maybe show show a little bit to have a lanyard with some bands on it and, and a couple calls. But I know guys that are simple that have killed way more ducks than I have, like Christian Curtis. He has a, a traditional leather lanyard with one drop on it, a two-loop drop, actually, with one duck call on it. He's got a loop wrapped around his insert and a loop wrapped around his barrel so if it does come apart during the hunt or the boat ride or whatever he doesn't lose a piece and trust me i've seen lots of duck call parts mainly inserts dropped into you know flooded timber water or different marshes and we've actually when it when we dried them out and get ready for the next planting season we found some of those parts so make sure that you're doing what it takes to secure your calls around your neck with your lanyard yeah we don't want to lose them they become kind of mementos to us we get our favorite ones we get, some, you know, it's just like anything in life. We get something that we're comfortable with. We want to hold on to it because we have success with it. It's created a lot of memories for us, and uh, we don't want to lose it. So take care of them. Uh, keep them clean. Keep them out of the heat. Keep them off your dashboard. Don't hang them around your rearview mirror to, you know, when you get out of your truck, when you're practicing because your wife or your girlfriend doesn't want you practicing in the house. A lot of us do have to practice in our, in our automobiles on the way to work, on the way home from work anywhere we drive so remember texting and driving is illegal calling isn't but still be careful out there when you're practicing all of those different notes and vocabulary for uh, the upcoming waterfowl seasons um we we put it out there on on some of our social media platforms with a, we got quite a few questions that came in first off i just want to say thank you very much for all the support of this life ain't for everybody podcast the uh the response has been awesome and we are tracking lots and lots of devices as well as lots and lots of hours listening to the first five and five or six episodes we've completed so far lots to come down the road some of our upcoming guests are ufc hall of famer dan henderson traeger captain chad ward who's an unbelievable pit master and barbecue stylist i call him we also have mr leith lofton from nashville coming into the studio to join us with his acoustic guitar talk about songwriting and some of the hits that he's written and we also have my good buddy clay charlton coming down from alberta take him outfitters who we hunted with last year uh, the, the first episodes one and two of the new season of the foul life getting ready to come up season 10 begins the end of June, beginning of July, only on the outdoor channel. The first two episodes you're going to see are going to be from Clay Charlton and, uh, his family up there in Northern Northeastern Alberta and their operation. Again, it's called take them outfitter. So I'm going to get Clay in the studio, talk a little bit about what went on behind the scenes at the lodge and the blind and the truck scouting, cooking, killing everything that we did with him, him, 
his, his wife, his daughters, his friends, his crew, all of the different people and walks of life that we met in camp for those five or six days. I think we met like seven or eight people just from the state of Louisiana. And I'm talking the Cajun part of Louisiana, the Southern part they cooked for us. We shared a lot of stories and uh, we're, we're still in touch. So that's what duck camp does. We stress it here all the time. We text back and forth, talk back and forth and already making plans and business endeavors and anything, any door can open um, at duck camp. And that's why I think it's the greatest place on earth. So again, today, no guest. You got me the entire time. I tried to get my brother to come in here. I tried to get John David Stanley to come in here. I tried to get Dave to come back guys that are proficient with the single read or double read duck call. And they're all tired of me. So I just want to talk a little bit about one of the main questions we get is call selection and it is important. It's what, what do you do when you go to a retailer or one of these events where you have a bunch of call makers lined up or a bunch of calls in a glass case that you have the associate there behind the counter, take out and hand you one and you put it to your lips. And what are you looking for? What are you trying to get out of it? What kind of sound, what kind of pitch, what kind of tone, what kind of response? Uh, you know, what's the value, the value of that call as far as, we all know what the price range of a good acrylic or wood duck call is, um, but what what do we look for in them? What what do we value in them? Do we like a good grain wood? Do we like a nice polished acrylic or a marbled acrylic? Do we care about the band? Do we care about the aesthetics of the call, the engraving, the painting on the call, the name of the call? Does it really matter what it, <laughs> the call is named? Some of them are, are, are tacky. Some of them are very witty and clever and creative. Um, but when it comes down to it, what are you going to have on that lanyard in your hand when you see that flock of mallards or widgeon or pintail or whatever kind of puddle duck you're really going to call at? I know pintails, you whistle at a bunch and you can sew on teal and, and, uh, widgeon as well. But, you know, for the most part, a lot of us blow a hen mallard style, Arkansas style, J frame style duck call. A lot of the single read variety, some of us are with the double read. That's a big question in itself. And again, that comes down to choosing a call. If you're inexperienced and you haven't blown a duck call or ran a duck call or operated a duck call per se, per se that much in your hunting career, um, you know, do your due diligence, read the, the forums, the message boards. Obviously that's one way to do it. Go to these shows, go to contests, listen to the different calls and, and call call makers. When I first started, I'd call guys like Tim grounds or Fred zinc and, and, and different people in the duck call world, like Joe Lairs or John, John Stevens, Jim Ronquest and ask them questions and have them ask them to listen to my routine back then or how I sounded on a call. And most of them, all of them for that matter, were, were honest with me and they tell me what I needed to change, what I needed to work on whether it was my hand position, my back pressure, my mouth cavity, my tongue positioning, my diaphragm, the way I was starting the call down the, the air in my diaphragm and bringing it up through my lungs and into my throat and into that muscle we call the larynx that where it gains its, its, its heat, you know, that hot air, like you're going to steam up your mom's window in a car and write your name when we were kids or clean your sunglasses off. You know how we get the, and they would say, Hey, this is what you need to do to get it to get that presentation of air better. Cause a lot, a lot of this has to do with the, that air presentation and how you present that air into the call. You don't grunt, you don't yell. There's not a lot of words in my opinion that you say. Um, so it's going to be this series of podcasts that we do. I wanted it to be more of a Q and a, I don't want to go through an entire instructional deal. Instructionals are tough 
when you don't have a visual to accompany it. What I mean by that is if I don't, if I'm telling you what to do with your hands and you can't see what I'm doing here in the studio, then it makes it a little bit more difficult for you to grasp onto that knowledge or information and, and use it to your advantage. So a lot of this is going to be, what do you want to talk about? What questions do you have? What can we do to help you? And if we can help you choose the right call, you know, a lot of it, I base on customer service, the way the call company manufacturer, the guy that's at the shop, the owner of the company, a lot of these call camp companies are ran by the owner still, uh, the way they treat you, the way they the, respond to you, do they get back to you? Are they courteous to you? Do they care about your success and your sound and what you're doing with that call? And if they do, if they show interest in that, then yeah, man, I support those guys. And, and then obviously you want to look for the quality in the call or the product that they're putting out on the market. And, and how do you do that? What do you look for? Well, a lot of it comes down to what suits you. Excuse me, I had to get a little sip of my soda there. But what suits you and what feels good in your hand? What feels good on your lips? What sounds good when you put your call through it? Is it, do you want to just blow the call and think that it sounds good? A lot of times you have to record yourself with an audio capturing device, go into a studio with soundproof walls. A lot of these guys that are tuning these calls are tuning them in soundproof soundproof booths or rooms to where they can make sure that that sound is not being manipulated by anything. And when you're calling outside or, or calling in a close confined area, like a truck that doesn't have the right padding on the walls, like a soundproof booth does, then you can get, you know, it can be manipulated and, and fool you a little bit. And if you're just blowing it and, and, and you're wondering, well, how does that sound? You can ask somebody, but you can also record it and run it back and listen to yourself and listen to your feed chatter and your separation calls and your greeters and your bouncers and your hens and all of the things that, uh, those sounds that make up that mallard hen duck vocabulary or whatever kind of species you're trying to emulate, you can really get gain a lot by listening to yourself. Another way is obviously go and listen to the live birds. You've heard that in a lot of instructionals, a lot of TV shows or DVDs back in the day would talked about going to the park or going out to a refuge or somewhere where there's a lot of puddle ducks around and listen to the way they interact with each other, the way they respond to the birds in the air, the way the birds in the air respond to the birds on the ground or in the water. Um, <laughs> once you really start dissecting it and breaking it down like a science, like you would with anything else, it, you can really start to become a perfectionist. And I think that's what our end goal is, is if we have a opportunity to go out and hunt and we have an, you know, a chance to see a bunch of mallard ducks or whatever species, again, you're chasing that day, do it right. Like we say, I want that to, you know, I want it to come down to, man, we scouted hard. We worked hard. We had the right gear. We did our homework. We learned how to call. We trained our dogs right. We honed our shotgunning skills, our ammunition, our choke tube systems, our patterning, our decoy placement, our concealment. You, you start to become a perfectionist and really test yourself and the boundaries when you're a duck or goose hunter. And when they come in, yeah, it's you might get one to do it and shoot him and he's dead and the dog brings it back. But the, for the most part, were you set up in the right spot? Did they want to be where you want to be? And when they were there, were they responding to your call? Were they picking you out? Was your hide good enough? Is your dog trained to where he doesn't break? He's not squealing. You don't have to chain him up during the hunt. Once you all shoot and the barrels are cleared and, and uh, the actions are cleared and the barrels are up and you send your dog or whoever is running the dog that day sends him on three or four birds in the decoys. One of them might be a blind retrieve and it all is said and done at the end of that day. Do you look at each other and go, that all came together the exact way we envisioned it. And visualization, like I've said it before, right here on the podcast and on the Foul Life TV shows, is that visualization is a huge part of anything in life. If you can visualize it and want to be successful at something, 
then visualize it. Go to sleep at night. Paint a picture in your head of what you think might happen or what you want to happen. In baseball, I did it all all the time. I would find out who's pitching the night before. I'd think about it. His slider does this. His changeup does this. His two-seam or four-seam fastball does this. When I'm on the on-deck circle or in the dugout watching him warm up, I'm visualizing my hips and my my legs and my backside turn and the way I'm going to smoke that ball into the opposite gap for a stand-up double. And, you know, it's not always going to turn out that way, but if you visualize success, you can start to manage it and and it'll start to happen more consistent because – through visualization, you're going to start putting together those little pieces of that puzzle that make up that big piece of puzzle that you call success. So in baseball, back to that analogy, is if you sacrifice bunt or steal a base or move a guy over into scoring position to, to get your team a run or get a run across the plate or take the lead in the later innings of a game, you're doing the little things. You're playing station-to-station baseball. And at the end, you get your pitch and you smoke it on the fat part of the bat and you send one over the right center wall for a three-run bomb and you do that trot – the big things happen because you, were, you weren't greedy, you weren't selfish, you were a team player, and you were willing to do that sacrifice bunt and give yourself up for the team. That's what sacrifice means, right? Or you were able to dive for a ball, and, and you might have been 0 for 4 with three strikeouts and a pop, Texas League or pop-up to the shortstop, but you still took your gold glove out into the field and made some awesome defensive plays to keep your team into it. Well, it's the same thing in hunting. You might not always be success, but if you can visualize that, and you got a team of guys out there working together for one common goal, and you don't call it winning in hunting. Hunting is not a competitive sport. We're not trying to better than, be better than anybody else. We are trying to better ourselves every day and our skills and our approach and our ideologies and our mindset and our confidence and everything that makes up our, our mind when we go into being a hunter. But you, you might have a guy that's awesome with a jerk string or a flag when you're Canada goose hunting, and you got another guy that's great has a great dog and he handles him or you have some guys that are proficient on the calls and they're they're going to be the ones calling that day you might have somebody that's in charge of calling the shot or setting up the decoy spread or picking the field or networking with the landowners everybody's working together and at the end of it you look at each other and go we just had a great hunt we might not have limited but we had a few flocks do it right they did it perfect and, and it all came together because we worked hard as a unit and to me, I think that's where you want to try to strive to get in your, you know, strive to get to that point in your career. And none of us are ever there a hundred percent because we do make mistakes. We falter in areas. We might, you know, have a loophole in part of our approach or our mentality. And that's where your buddies and your teammates and your hunting mates come together to pick you up and fill in those blank spots. And that's how I think a hunt comes together. And you don't have to, it's not a big time serious deal. It's always going to be fun, but who's going to have fun if they go out on a hunt or a golf game or anything else in life and fail all the time. Failure does not bring consistency. It doesn't bring the ideology that people are going to want to do it again. That's why when a young kid goes on his first hunt or plays in his first game, you want to see him have some success and you don't want to be overdone success. You don't want a 13 year old to go out and shoot a grand slam, a wild sheep um, because he's spoiled after that. And what's, you know, I'm not saying spoiled hundred percent by his parents or anything like that, but he's got to have something to strive for in the game. So if they go out on their first baseball game and hit four bombs or on their first duck hunt and kill seven banded mallards that were all bouncing over the spinning wings or right in your decoy spread because your, your approach was perfect, then they're spoiled. So it doesn't have to be perfect. But the success comes because those little things are taking place and the harder we work at it, we're going to continue to get better and better and better. And that's why we always are looking forward to next season. You know, when the, when that season ends, we can't wait for the next season to begin. So I could talk about 
you know, the, the mental approach of hunting all day, obviously I said this was more about calling, call, calling instruction, calling sampling for short, uh, for single read duck calls, things of that nature. And I want to get to that. I just wanted to, every time I talk on this microphone to you guys, I want to, and girls, I want to try to give a couple of the thoughts or some of the things I've learned along the ways or some stories that I've learned along the way. And in calling, you know, there's a lot of stories that have been a part of my life because of a little three inch duck call or a, a short read goose call. There's, there's so many memories. When you look at a guy put on his lanyard, start to think about the memories and the stories that that lanyard has been through. Kenny Chesney has a song called if this bus could talk. Well, what if that lanyard could talk or that duck call could talk? You know, Kenny, when he writes that song, if this bus could talk, it's about being on the road and on tour, traveling across the world in this country, mainly with his friends and his crew and his band and his, their loved ones and their families. And if that bus knew what was going on there at Fenway Park one night before the show, after the show, post party, whatever it is, or uh, the tire gets flat and, and they're in Omaha, outside of Omaha, traveling the I-80 corridor on their way to their next show. Um, what if that bus could talk and tell the stories that, that Kenny doesn't tell in his songs or through his songwriting or the songwriters that he associates himself with, like David Lee Murphy or whoever it might be? Well, what if that lanyard could talk? What if that duck club could talk? What if your dog could talk? Start thinking about things like that. And when a guy puts it on, it's a big part of who we are. Our lanyard and our calls on those drops and maybe a few bands in there, we don't have to wrap our entire lanyard with a bunch of bands to show people man i'm a band killer nobody's a band killer it's luck um there's some guys that scope them out and have good enough eyesight and vision to see them and shoot them but that's to me is not what the banding initiative is about so i never really put a whole bunch of wow factor into a band a band is is not important to me unless it's with the federal agencies that that man those banding operations and initiatives and we are doing what the banding initiative is about and that's to to better our resource of waterfowl and the migration and the routes and where they end up and why they end up there and how many do end up there and if a duck's banded in russia will he ever be killed in america and i think they have or if they're all banded you know the bands that studies that go on are all over the country and i and i know that there's been we can sex a duck age a duck we we can find out a lot of information from a duck or a goose band and that to me is what it's about and again that's up for a totally different discussion and that's probably not one that i want to have with myself right now but um you know that lanyard is so important to our physical makeup as a duck hunter and and i'm not saying it's for everybody because some guys don't care about calling but to me calling is a very personal and intimate i should say intimate part of the hunt and i i wouldn't hunt a coyote or an elk or a goose or a duck or a turkey if i wasn't uh you know talking with them conversing with them having dictation with them and figuring out what to say and when to say it and how loud or how low how low to say it or when not to say anything at all and 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 that's to me is so intimate and the intimacy that goes into conversing with the wild animal and getting him close for and tricking him partly because of decoys partly because they can't see you because your hide's so good and your scout you're where they want to be and but if you're calling and you're not scaring them away, then maybe you're doing something right. So let's all strive to be better callers. And that's kind of where I was going with this. It's not intended to be a duck calling 101 uh, deal to where you have to listen to my style of calling. It's just more of the guys that follow us, the girls that follow us, our, our viewers from the foul life, the guys that listen to this life ain't for everybody, our social media fans and followers. We're humbled by all of it. We have a lot of different platforms to be able to receive information like these requests or these questions. And we have these different platforms to, 
put information out there and we have, we take it serious. We feel it's a responsibility to, to try to help because we were once in, and we still are every day in need of answers and help and hints. And, and that's what we're trying to give is if I could help a kid or Dave Stanley comes in here, or John David, we could help a kid learn how to pick a duck call or blow his first note or the, the, the feeling he's going to have after he works hard to become proficient on that call and calls his first duck in he's hooked. We got a duck hunter for life. So that's kind of why we're doing it. And, um, you know, selecting a call, there's a lot that goes into that and it's got to be personal and intimate. Like I said, for you find the one, you know, there's a lot of word of mouth out there. There's a lot of results in call companies all across this country. Elite calls our our sponsor and partner here at the foul life is owned by three time world duck calling champion, Brad Allen from Arkansas. Well, Brad knows his way around a duck call. He's won the world duck three times and he has broken down and studied duck call and duck call construction and manufacturing and engineering. And he makes a good call. There's a lot of companies out there, including Rich and Tone, including Echo, Zinc, Lynch Mob, Tim Grounds, Joe Lairs. I can go on and on about the duck call companies that are out there. And I'm sure that everybody says, well, a lot of them are the same. And they are. They're, they're, they're based off of kind of the same design. But duck call manufacturers have different ways of doing things to make their calls more reliable, better handling, easier handling more realistic, more authentic sounding to the animal you're trying to emulate again. So do what it takes for you to get out there. It might take you 10 or 12 of them. You might have some money invested in this until you find the two or three or that one that you want on your lanyard. You might be a competition caller that, Hey, I, I, I compete for rich and tone or I compete for lynch mob or I compete for echo or, and I'm talking duck calls here. Um, you know, you might compete with their call and blow another one in the field. That's from a different manufacturer. Or if you're a pro staffer or a team guy or an ambassador for one of these companies, maybe you blow their, you know, operate their competition call. That's got a bigger barrel and it's louder on stage. And then when you get in the blind, you have a couple different variations of some of the calls that they offer in their lineup. So do what's right for you. Uh, take your time. You might have to buy three or four of these, let borrow them. That's tough because guys are, you know, they're pretty selfish with their duck calls. They don't want somebody else's spit in them or, Copenhagen or breakfast they ate that morning or a bunch of, you know, syrup from a Coke that somebody was drinking and they spit it in there. And when they're trying to operate it, so guys get pretty, like, I know I do. Like when somebody's like, well, let me, let me try that one. I don't really just hand it over to just anybody, let's say, and I'm sure, excuse me, most of you don't out there, but one of the things that I, that I look for again is the customer service. And then it took me a long time to, it took me first of all, a long time to become even a little bit proficient on a single read duck call. So that brings you to the question, well, do I get a double read? My answer is no. Now, I'm not saying that you can't be successful. I'm not saying that you can't sound ducky. I'm not saying that you won't kill a bunch of ducks using a double read call. But if your end goal is to become the most proficient duck call operator and communicator of the wild duck that you can or to the wild duck, I think a single read is going to be in your, in your future somewhere. And why start with a double read if you want to learn how to blow a, du- a single read? In my opinion, your mouth cavity, your tongue placement, your back pressure, a lot of that stuff's going to be different. And a double read is going to be more forgiving. It's going to allow you to make more mistakes and do things that aren't right. Then when you do step up to the majors with a single read, then you're going to have to learn new tricks. And Dave Stanley said it the other day on the podcast is it's tough to teach an old dog new tricks most of the time. And I see it all the time when I talk with people that are in their 40s, 50s, 60s, and they got their calls and they hit it for me a little bit. And I'm, it's hard to teach them because they've been doing it wrong for so long or maybe not, maybe wrong 
is not the right word, but they haven't been doing it in the way that I would have them doing it if I had them fresh, you know, and, and, and they didn't have time to develop all of those different techniques. So get a single read call, find one that fits you and learn at a young age or at a young part in your duck hunting career, whether it's in your teens, your twenties, thirties. I know Joe Rogan. I listened to him the other day on the meat eater podcast and he's talking about, he's went on his first archery hunt and got his first bow or something when he was 45. And now he's addicted to elk hunting and eating and cooking wild game. It doesn't get any cooler than that. So no matter how old you are, it's not too late to get a duck call and become proficient on one. So again, I don't know if I'm going in a roundabout manner to answer that question on how you find one customer service. It might take you a bunch of times to get it right and find the right one. Who knows if the one you buy tomorrow is going to be the one that you're hunting with by this October, get three or four of them this summer, hammer on them, put new reeds in them, new corks, new stoppers, figure out your way around the duck call, all the different pieces from the band to the insert, to the barrel, to the stopper, whether it's cork or plastic, figure out your mylar reed and how to dog ear that and what, what the length of it has to be and how it's associated with that tone trough and how it creates the sound. Once you present your air through that call, become a master of it. Don't just settle for a spinning wing being turned on and you hitting a couple notes and a duck putting his feet down. Now I'm not saying that's not awesome, but let's not settle for that. Let's learn how to talk and, and associate ourselves and communicate with these wild animals. And maybe one day you will be on the stage in a meat eating, comp, uh, uh, a meat competition or a meat eating competition like Joey or T- Kobayashi. You'll be the Kobayashi of duck hunting where you, you have to eat so many duck. I'm just kidding. But anyway, you, you know, become proficient with it. It, it, it. You might be on a, on the stage as a, as a, competitor in an open re or a, a open style contest like a stuttgart style world duck style contest that you got 90 second routine and you got to follow it protocol you got to have your body turned a certain way you can't talk you got to tell the judge hey the judge will say do you contestant number four would you like a warm-up and you shake your head without any verbal messaging and then once you shake your head again he'll say judges this is for warm-up or, or, you know, you shake your head, this is for warm-up, you do your warm-up, then you shake your head again, he says, judges, this is for score, and you go into your routine. Or you might be in a meat-calling competition. You might be in a two-man team competition. So there's a lot, and that's how I really got into it, was I wanted to go, and, and I got my butt kicked daily, weekly, monthly, and yearly all over this country in places from Oregon to New York to Maryland to Arkansas. I blew in the World Duck in Arkansas three times. Probably should have never been there once, but I won the Nevada State, which isn't that hard. And, and I've won a couple of those Nevada States by the guy in front of me, who was mainly John David making a mistake or sticking his call or something. And, and, but I still got to go and experience in one year. Think about this, this rookie duck caller from Reno, Nevada is in the world duck downtown Stuttgart, Arkansas main street, the old stage, not the new one they got down there now, which is awesome. But the old one had what they called the bus behind it, which was the bullpen. And you'd get on there. And when I got on there, I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. Jim Ronquist, John Stevens, uh, Barney Califf, Buck Gardner, um, Brad Allen, and and I get John David Stanley and Hunter Grounds and Kelly Powers and all these guys that you hear about and you, the older time guys there like Johnny Mafus and Mike McLemore who's 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 passed away since but his son Hunter and I still talk and 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 guys that you got to run into that were pioneers and trailblazers. Mister Butch Rickenbach would be around, and I'm there. In the first round, I follow John Stevens. And I'm standing on the on-deck circle, which is pretty much on the side of the stage. And I listen to this cat, John Williams, who's the president and CEO of Rich and, Tone, Rich and Tone Calls Now in Stuttgart, blow this just immaculate, just pristine 90-second routine. And I'm like, 
I am literally going to go out there and get booed off of this stage. And it's pretty much what happened. I didn't get booed because of the good people of that area and the good people in this, in this, this lifestyle of impassion of duck hunting and duck calling. They were very nice to me, but I was just like, I'm never going to get there. And I think here I am, you know, a few years later, a few different calls later, more contests under my belt, which I don't do that anymore. More time in the field. I think I, I would score better. I think I'd be closer to John. I'd still get wiped out by John, John's caliber, Jimbo's caliber, somebody like that. I Trust me, they'd still wipe me out, the guys that are winning these contests consistently. But I would feel better about being up there. So it's all about what it means to you. If you get into competition, let it be a network for you. Meet guys, ask questions, open doors, figure out what they're doing to get different sounds. And uh, we can go for there. So let's uh, let's get into this. Um, I don't even know how long I've been talking already, but I talk a lot. Sometimes I talk too fast. I've been talking almost a half hour already. And hopefully this is good for you guys. We get some knowledge out there that you guys can use and put in your, your gear bag or your arsenal and, and look and go back and listen to this podcast again and just figure out if it's, if this information is for you. And if you have some information that you want to know after you hear something like this, write into our IG or our Facebook or, or the, our new upcoming website that's going to be dedicated to this life ain't for everybody podcast and let us know what you want to learn or what you want us to talk about or any advice that we can give you. Uh, we're more than, you know, we're, our, our, our doors are open to you guys, and we want to be like Tim Grounds used to be to me, where I'd call up that phone number, 618 area code in Johnson City, Illinois. I hear, hey, bub. And it would be an hour conversation about me asking Tim questions. And to this day, he still treats me like a friend and teaches me how to call. I love his calls. Absolutely the best short read goose calls ever made, in my opinion. And, uh, and now his son Hunter is, is 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 leading that company up, and I don't know if I've ever met anybody in my existence in this industry or in this lifestyle of hunting ducks and geese that can tune a short read goose call better than Hunter Grounds. The kid, he's not a kid anymore. When I was competing against him, he was 17 years old and would mop me up and embarrass the heck out of me, and I was hopeful I didn't have any family that day in the audience because I'd have been hanging my head. But Hunter, kudos to you, and and obviously that's a, a short read goose call. But, you know, we're, we're open book. We, we will we'll tell you what you want to hear. We want to be transparent. We want to help whoever we can help. So, if, again, if there's something you want to know on this podcast that This Life Ain't For Everybody, shoot us a message on Instagram, Facebook, the upcoming thislifeaintforeverybody.com website. We're, uh, we're trying to get that stuff out to you as soon as possible. And, again, thank you for the response so far and the hundreds of hours and thousands of devices that have been listening to the this life ain't for everybody podcast and we got some good stuff coming your way so let me grab one of these elite calls i'm gonna be blowing the cash on this and i want to start with one of the first questions that we received let me get to it for you real quick and again this is going to be some of the stuff that came off of instagram we have some facebook stuff on here we might get to all of it we might not get to all of it today we're going to do our best but um, the first one is, can you help me with my feed call and how do you get it to sound so realistic? Well, first of all, I appreciate you saying that. Um, that came from, uh, oh, this is, I think, a joke. I think this is Duckman Jones. This is Antonio Jones. I don't know if I can blow a, a, a feed chuckler operated duck call as good as Duckman. He's won the world duck. Antonio's got a heck of a feed chatter. Um, I know that I've been asked this question several times. I, got, I, I actually get a lot of private messages to send people sound files on on duck calling and and a lot of it is for this feed chuckle i think a feed chuckle starts with a single cut what i mean by a single chuck a single cluck is kind of a short cluck it's a, 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 a 
so if you're doing a clock, uh, you know, not a cluck, uh, that's a goose calling, but a quack. If you just shorten that up to cut, cut, so it's to then you can hear that cut get different with the way I change my hand. And all I'm doing is I have my the 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 tip of my tongue anchored down behind my bottom teeth where my teeth meet my gum line. I got my tongue bridged up a little bit like I have a small gumball in there. And <clears throat> excuse me, I'm cutting that air off with my throat. So what I'm doing is I'm Okay, so I'm not tipping the, I'm not using my tongue on the roof of my mouth. I'm not using the tip of my tongue. I'm using the back of my mouth and the beginning of my throat to get that air cut off. In the back of the call, you know, putting my mouth on my insert and turning the call around 180 degrees, it sounds like this. And that's just a single cut, cutting it off with my throat. And you can get two in there just by going, I'm not use, I'm not tapping my tongue. Okay. So that is the foundation of the beginning of that feed chuckle that a lot of people have asked me what I'm doing to get it. And I appreciate people saying it sounds realistic. I've worked on it hard. I'm nowhere near some of the guys like Keith Allen or Christian Curtis or Trey Crawford or Jim Ronquest guys that just have sick John David Stanley's feed chuckle is so sick. And, but that's kind of the basis of it. And then what I do is I start adding my tongue in to get that double cut part of it. And I'm not trying to sound like a hen mallard flying where she's going. Okay, there's different ways to mix it up. That's kind of the, the basis of a double cut feed chuckle that we call it or a separator call. But mixing in quacks and lonesome hens and and then you start mixing in that double cut. And so what I'm doing is I'm raising my tongue a little bit off of that gum line behind my bottom teeth, and I'm and I'm now I'm kind of cutting the air off with my throat, and then it's getting cut off again in the front of my mouth by my tongue. So you can hear it cut cut off there, and then I'm cutting it off with the tip of my tongue on the front of my mouth, right on that bridge behind my upper teeth. And when you mix them together, and in the call, it starts to sound like this. A lot of these podcasts, again, guys, we don't edit a lot of them. It's just raw material, so. Once in a while, when you're blowing a call or you're talking a lot, you got to clear your throat. I apologize. Got to get some water inside of me. Probably a little dehydrated right now from the giant workout I did today. I'm trying to catch up with the physical specimen we call Tom Rashishin in our office. And uh, he's laughing at me right now. But God, does he look good right now going into summer. So again, in the back of the call, Okay, so I'm not going to add any lonesome hands. I'm not going to add any quacks right now. I'm just going to do a, a single cut, start with a single cut feed chuckle and then move on to um, adding in that double cut. So it sounds a little something like this. <clears throat>
kind of lied there. I started going a little bit fast and started adding in some creatures, but just keeping it basic is. Okay. Then you can start adding quacks and lonesome hens and, and strings of greeters and that's a little bit of that that's kind of a just single cut to double cut i don't know if that's a good rendition of it i got headphones on so i might be tricking myself a little bit but if you can you know listen to that and gain anything out of it hopefully you can just you know single cut to double cut can mix in some lonesome hands some quacks and then a couple strings of greeters you're just trying to be realistic like a flock of ducks on the water and you don't need that all the time to kill ducks but they asked the question about that feed chuckle and 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 antonio duckman jones you're welcome for that pal Appreciate the question there, Guy, and um, hopefully we can um, teach some serious listeners out there. I don't know if Antonio listens to this or not. I hope he does. He'll probably learn some stuff, but if he doesn't, then uh, that's okay, too. But uh, the, other, the rest of the duck calling population out there, maybe that'll help, and if you need more info on it, there's other guys in the industry that you can check with. I would recommend highly probably Jim Ronquest at this time with that feed chuckle. There's a lot of other good ones, but Jimbo's is awesome. John David Stanley's is awesome, like I said before. The next question was uh, what they talk, they talk about a – Tom, you said this uh, – what was the guy's name? Do you remember who was asking about the bouncing hen? And, again, you know, the bouncing hen happens. It's a realistic sound. Um, I don't know if a duck means to say it or do it, but she's might have a piece of rice or corn or something stuck in her gullet or her airflow pipes or diaphragm or um, in her different tubes in her body. But it's it's kind of like she gets stuck up a little bit and it's just or the bouncing hen is also with a feed chuckle. I don't know which one this fan or viewer uh, his name. Patrick Pinsky wanted to know about that bouncing hen. And I don't know if Patrick is talking about that one, that mick, mick, or the one mixed in with a feed chuckle that I do sometimes is, or Keith Allen made the refuge call, quote unquote refuge call. Keith at one time was known as the refuge man. Don't know if he still goes by that or not, but uh, we call him dub most of the time when we do talk to him. Um, but it's, so there's a couple different variations of that <clears throat> bouncing hen i'll do a couple of them that i know patrick again thank you for the question but bouncing hen is It's 
she might be running out of air or like i said she has something stuck in her throat and you hear you hear people do it a lot of guys in the timber do it on those mondo or cut down calls and then when i mix it in or, or like keith used to do and i'm nowhere near what keith allen can do with it but you can mix it in with a string of feed chuckle separating calls hens and lonesome hens and quacks and greeters and, and it'll sound something like this maybe Again, that's my rendition or quote-unquote rendition of a bouncing hand. Patrick, I appreciate the question. And we just had another question come in on uh, another Facebook account. Tom, will you tell me that one again and who it was by? I just want to make sure that I uh, get to it and try to answer it. And um, Duck calling over decoys is completely different than a duck calling competition. You know that, right? I mean, you're a duck hunter. I mean, you're a duck hunter. Um, who was that by? Uh, Nathan Bush. Nathan Bush. Chill out, guy. I mean, I'm, I'm just, I don't know if you're kind of saying that I don't know that or you assume I don't know that. But yes, Nathan, I appreciate it. Um, I do know that. And I think that, um, you know, competition calling is awesome. It does serve a place it like i said it opens up a lot of doors and network and gets gets you around the industry more and it fills your off season more um and it keeps you competitive it keeps that competitive spirit alive there's a lot at one time and i think there still is a quite a bit of money in it prizes and a chance to tour the country meet new friends go to stuttgart if you're lucky enough to qualify for the world duck or Easton maryland if you want to go blow in the uh, operate your call and compete in the world goose but there's competitions regionals and state and local competitions all over the country, they're fun. It's a fun way to spend a Saturday or a Sunday or a weekend. I know Rogers in Kansas City has a huge calling event. Max Prairie Wings has calling events. There's retailers and dealers all over the country, as well as private organizations like Washington Waterfowl or California Waterfowl that are, that are putting these on and keeping people interested in the outdoors. And calling and competition calling is another way to do that. Uh, what was his name again, Tom? Nathan. So, you know, yeah, Nathan, I, I know what you mean, buddy. And I appreciate the, the t time you took to type that up on your uh, Facebook messenger there. And, and there is a difference, but 
most guys that I've seen operate a call that are proficient on stage are, you know, they're proficient duck call operators. And then it comes down to, can you read the body language of the duck? Are your instincts, you know, legit to be able to, you know, know when to call or when to be quiet or when to hit them and when not to hit them or what to hit them with and when to stand on your first note. But again, training and practicing for upcoming competitions or if you do one or 15 a year, whatever it is, yes, it keeps you in the game. It creates dexterity in your tongue, which as they say is the strongest muscle in your body. And tongue dexterity is everything in calling. And it, it, it strengthens your, your my, my lung capacity and air capacity is so much stronger since I really started operating duck goose or duck calls and short read goose calls, duck goose, whatever that meant. But um, it helps in a lot of factors. And again, it keeps that competitive spirit alive, but yes, you don't go into a duck blind and well on a, on a high ball. Like you open up your Stuttgart world championship duck calling routine with, I understand that. And, um, I, I completely get what you're saying, Nathan, and I'm glad you brought it up. And, um, again, the stuff that I was just doing on that bouncing hen and those cadences where I'm running all those greeters and lonesome hens and, and quacks and, and feed chuckle and double cut feed chuckle. And then that bouncing hen and the squeals and all that. I don't necessarily do that in the duck blind. Sometimes I do, if I think it's warranted and they're not really paying attention, I want to try something new. I might try something to, to spark something in their ears or tickle their ears a little bit to get them to turn and come check out the decoy spread and get shot at or shot with our Benelli's. But um, that's just, that's one of them deals. And again, Nathan, I appreciate it, but being a, a competition caller doesn't mean that you're going to be a terrible duck caller in the blind and being a terrible duck caller in the duck blind doesn't mean that you can't become a proficient contest caller someday or vice versa or whatever I'm trying to say, just do what you want to do, what makes you happy. And, um, if, if, if you're a competition caller, I know you're going to learn the, the disciplines of a duck call and, and that's what counts. And that's what it did for me and, and, and practicing and wanting to win those are some of the reasons why, you know, myself and other people were competitors or, or traveled the circuit, um, kind of like a rodeo cowboy, like old Lane Frost and Tuff Hedeman did back in the day. They made that movie eight seconds. And, but those guys, uh, they travel circuits and it, it creates memories and creates camaraderie and stories and life on the road and being a duck caller, you can have life on the road every Thursday you leave and get ready to compete on a Friday, Saturday, Sunday, or leave on a Friday and compete Saturday, Sunday, and hopefully bring home that check. Like one of those big happy Gilmore. I want the big check, you know, the big one. So that's one of them deals to where I understand what Nathan's saying, but being a, a, a proficient or a, a qualified competition caller is only going to help you in the blind. And then it comes down to doing is going hunting a bunch taking pride in it. Like we talked about at the beginning of this conversation or this talk or this podcast today is take pride in it, become a perfectionist, paint that masterpiece, you know, clear your, your, you know, you got that big mural out in front of you and you're going to throw paints at it to, in your waterfowling career. Some of it's going to stick, some of it might not, but when it comes to calling, um, yeah, open up the doors with competition calling. If you want to get out and compete, if you don't want to compete, go watch a couple of them. Talk to the competition callers. But I'll tell you one thing's for sure. When you're sitting back in that bullpen and you're drawing a pill and you're getting ready to go up on that stage and you're on deck or you're and you've been practicing the last month for this one competition, like the, the IWA or the US Open or the International back in the day or the Worlds or whatever it was, or Oregon Waterfowl, it didn't matter what it was. It could have been $400 first place prize. You still want to go up there and put it to them 
You want to compete with Bill Saunders in Oregon. You wanted to go down to Illinois and compete with Hunter and Kelly and all the studs. So that's what it did. And, and again, Nathan, I appreciate it. And I'm not trying to ever say that if you're a good duck caller on stage, you're going to be the best in the blind. Or if you're the best in the blind, you could go win the world duck. That's not what it's about. It's about just being proficient um, and, and having that in your repertoire, you know, filling your off season with it and, and, and keeping that competitive edge burning d- deep down in your soul, guys. Buddy, I appreciate the question. Um, we got a lot more and I don't want to, I don't want to make these, these calling podcasts, uh, too long. Cause I want to do a bunch of them. I want to try to come in here a couple times a month and, and throw down on some information or have some guests on that are going to help us, um, you know, get to where we want to be as duck callers and duck hunters. I got one right here that says I hunt public land on a lake, good coves and cover spots, but I feel like my decoy spread isn't great any advice on decoy spreads for open water that comes from dylan johnson 12 um again this was a calling seminar dylan i truly appreciate it we'll get into this type of question later on in future podcasts real quick i'd add some white i'd add a jerk string maybe a spinner um, underneath some branches on the edge to give some flash use some of the the cloudy day wings that mojo offers um, so it's not so bright but open water, big water, I'd add some canvas back decoys, maybe a couple snow goose decoys, um, add in some coot decoys. Like there's some coots swimming around out there in that open pothole um, or uh, on that lake in the cove that are, they're trying to steal the food from the puddle ducks that are bringing it up or whatever. Um, think outside the box. We'll go look at live spreads out there, buddy, and and see what's working for those live ducks to respond to them. Sometimes you see a live decoy, you know, live ducks and ducks don't even land in that. So you got to ask yourself, hmm, maybe I'm not doing anything wrong. But most of the time we are maybe not wrong but we can change little things like a jerk string or changing the position or the height of our spinning wing decoys or the species that we mix in um in some places like flooded timber a lot of people don't even use decoys um i do i like hunting over decoys because again it makes my hunt more complete but you don't have to out on big water like you're talking about on that lake or in those coves buddy just mix it up add in some bright brighter colors like some sprig decoys canvas back something with white greenhead gear from avery outdoors has some awesome diver packages that you could add into your mallard widgeon mix i don't know where you're hunting what state or what species you're targeting but hopefully that helps in a quick matter because uh we want to get back to the calling. Um, I have uh, one here from Sprig21. My name is Adam. I live and hunt in Southern California. Nice, buddy, down there by the Sultan Sea or Long Beach or where you're talking about. I typically hunt a California refuge near the Sultan Sea. Oh, I didn't even know that, and I just read it. Sorry about that, buddy. The refuge, let me start over. I was being annoying. My name is Adam. I live and hunt in Southern California. I typically hunt a California refuge near the Sultan Sea. The refuge gets tons of pressure, though, throughout the season, and most of the time I won't bother calling because everyone else on the refuge is calling excessively. So my question is, should I? Um, I don't see the rest of the question. I don't see it. I, I assume you're saying, should I stop calling? Usually on here it would say more or something. I apologize, buddy, but it cut it off. Should I stop calling or should I not call at all? Um do I call once in a while? Do I, what do I do? Uh, some of the things I would do down there in that part of the country is 
I would become as proficient as heck on a mallard call, a mallard hen call, single read call. I hunt in the Salton Sea, you want some volume. I'd use a single read for sure, something with a little bit more open barrel for an open water style call. I would become proficient. I would become very proficient with separation calls and some stuff that you can run together, like those feed chuckles and those quacks and those lonesome hinges, that stuff again. Um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, you know, per se do a high ball or get their attention but don't be I'm, what i'm saying is don't be afraid to use your hen mallard call for those the ducks in the salton sea i know you get a lot of different species down there plus divers um but don't be afraid to go get a pintail whistle a widgeon whistle a drake mallard whistle um something that you can be different or have on your lanyard and in your arsenal and repertoire that you i mean christian curtis is one of the best single read duck collar operators i've ever had he's responsible for the real timber series that later on was added to the rich and tone line as their timber call and then he, he he makes some custom calls to this day that are just sick and he can run a call and a lot of the times we get in the blind he pulls out a wooden pintail whistle just to be different, just to mix it up. He does. He's so humble. He doesn't have to show off on a mallard call and, and, and act like he's on stage or so. There I go relating blind calling to stage calling again. Sorry, Nathan. But, um, you know, he pulls out that pintail whistle, adds realism to the spread. We're out down there in Louisiana at Honey Break, and me and Drew are, me and Drew are, are hammering on the, the mallard calls here and there, and then Drew will pick up his, his, his duck commander uh, mallard whistle, you know, mallard drake whistle, grunt whistle, and then Christian's got that kind of that trombone-looking uh, – pintail whistle that he can change pitches on it do widgeon and teal and we have widgeon and teal and pintail decoys in our spread so why not make those come alive too so hopefully that helps you a little bit buddy maybe not just rely on a, a hen mallard call of the single reader double read style or but go out and get a widgeon whistle a pin i know that mickey sasso at wing setter calls in california for years he drove a heck of a business with that little whistle and I, I know they still sell them i don't know who owns it mickey might i think it was mickey sasso that owned that company but yeah i think I, i'm pretty sure it was and he was awesome he was a big help in a lot of ways for kids and conservation and duck hunting in the pacific flyway and mainly the state of california but Go out and get a whistle that that emulates that teal, that widgeon, that pintail. Do a diver call. Mix it up with some canvas back decoys in there. Like I just said on the question before about hunting on that cove and that lake. Change up your decoy spread. Add some white to it. Um, make sure your hide's good and make sure you're scouting that part of the Salton Sea and that you're where the ducks want to be. There might be different feed in different parts depending on what the tide is. Um, different codes, co coves might have... Uh, or different beach lines or shorelines might have different food sources. They are, are, are diver ducks more prevalent in that area? Are they are, are puddle ducks feeding there in the in the shallow waters? Add some butts up feeders from greenhead gear in there. But um, just mix it up. Think outside the box, man. Be clever and just be different. And look what maybe look what your competition's doing, or go to the local sporting goods store and find out what's going on and how people are getting some success to come their way. But I think some of that might help you, buddy. Again, I appreciate that question. Um, where do I get the podcast? Great question. There, Tom, will you come over here and help me answer where guys can sign up and find out our information on um, on on uh, this life ain't for everybody? Kind of, we've been trying to explain that theme for several podcast uh, episodes so far, and this life isn't for everybody. It ain't for everybody, man. And and and, but neither is your life. I don't care if you're a janitor, a bus driver, a surgeon, or a, or a uh, one of our national heroes that fight in the military to pre preserve our freedoms and fight for our freedoms and rights to be a hunter and have the second amendment in our constitution. 
um, we, we know that everybody lives a different life and we want to bring everybody together and learn stories and learn about what's going on out there and tell stories. And I can't wait to have some of our upcoming guests in here. I mean, can you imagine having old Leith Lofton, the boss man himself, Hoss with his guitar, his acoustic guitar, Betty, Betsy sitting here on his lap and having me just ask him about how he came up with some of the lyrics and some of his songs like wingman or money all gone or 50 years too late with him and our good buddy Drake white wrote it. I mean, there's just so much out there in America and within the walls of duck hunting or other sports or other activities or other hobbies or other lifestyles or other neighborhoods and communities across the country, other brands and businesses. We want to learn from a whole slew of people. So we're not going to stop. We won't stop. We can't stop. My man, Tom Rashashin is sitting across from me to help us all get a better understanding of where we can all find this life ain't for everybody podcast where we can download it where we can subscribe to it and what upcoming tom where are they going to be able to get information on this awesome podcast that we do here on a weekly or a couple times a week basis buddy all right so yeah podcasts tend to be a, a little bit of a mystery for some but uh we are available on itunes podcast and also google play offers uh, a podcast version of this life ain't for everybody but if you go to thislifeaintforeverybody.com, you'll be able to find all the links and a little background story to some of the, the podcasts that we have going on. So That was thislifeaintforeverybody.com. That's correct. And that's our new website launching when, or is it live? It's live at the moment, but uh, we still are just adding to it, so it's a work in progress. But and ain't nobody better at designing <laughs> one of them websites or adding to one of them websites than the, yours truly, uh, not me, uh, Tom, Rasha Chuck, Rasha Sheen, the man. You, oh, guys, you guys should oh. see his hair. You look like uh, Kurt Russell, dude. Just a lady's dream. It's a wor- Yeah, it, the hair is a work in progress as well, as long with the website. And we... Um, Tom, we have some exciting guests coming up. We have some exciting business stuff that we're getting ready to announce we have some great uh, co-branding initiatives getting ready and sweepstakes with our partners getting ready that we're getting ready to announce. And one of the other things that I wanted to touch on while I had you here for a few minutes was when they go and they subscribe to This Life Ain't For Everybody or download it, you don't have to download it necessarily. You can just, you can just listen to it. You know, it's cool to download it though because then when you don't have cell service or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to it, right? That's correct. Yeah, you can... Uh do the pre-download, and so when you're on the road driving around uh, and you run out of the cell service, you can uh, have it already preloaded on your phone. And I also forgot to mention also on thefowllife.com and also on thislifeaintforeverybody.com, you'll be able to sign up for the email blast, and whenever new podcasts are uploaded, we'll also be sending out uh, emails to uh, alert you guys on uh, some of the upcoming stuff. And when... Also, that we'll have some of the other things we have coming up with This Life Ain't For Everybody are going to be merchandise, decals, shirts, hats, hooded sweatshirts, and um, opportunity for our fans and viewers of the Foul Life Television on the Outdoor Channel. Um, Fans that we made through our YouTube channel, which is uh, getting ready to launch as well with uh, This Life Ain't For Everybody. We're going to have a whole slew of content there. Our social media platforms at the Foul Life TV, Dead Dog Walking, This Life Ain't For Everybody, soon to be This Life Ain't For Everybody, as well as a few other ones we have coming up. There's going to be a lot of content available, but 
um, with the, the podcast, we're going to actually bring some fans on some, some pe- different walks of life that we meet out there on the back roads over the highways of America that we've met in great duck hunting, goose hunting, hunting pot, you know, destinations across our country. We want, we want to get some of our fans on here and, um, we want, we're going to be in, in the studio here with a lot of our different sponsors or what we like to call our partners in, in this industry. And we have uh, representation from Benelli, Federal Black Cloud, Savage Rifles, Mr. Terry Denman himself from Mojo, Louisiana, Monroe, Louisiana, is going to come join us on the podcast, as well as the guys I mentioned before, Tom, with, you know, Leith. You've hung with Chad Ward from Traeger. I mean, how, how awesome is it going to be to have not just Chad Ward in the studio, but the, the aroma that's going to be circulating through the studio with all those Traegers lit up that day on May 11th, huh? Yeah, I feel jealous for your uh, your, your neighbors are going to be pretty jealous, I believe. Uh, it's going to be a, a great a great couple days with those guys in camp. Yeah, and, and you know, Tom is uh, very responsible of, in, in case you guys don't follow Tom on Instagram. It's, uh, is it T. Rashishin? Yeah, T Rashin. Good luck spelling that. R A S S U C H I N E. Correct. Ooh, wow. Yeah, well, that's, that's it. That's from paychecks, like a th- <laughs> millions of paychecks over the last five or six years. Um, T Rashin, which I will say today, I've said it hundreds of times, and I will go to my grave saying it that he is absolutely, without question, the best photographer in the outdoor industry. And I know there's pics out there that that you guys have or that you mess with, and but mine, my personal opinion, it's not proven. I'm not saying it's in stone, but Tom Rashashin is a, I mean, just a buck behind a camera. And what he does, we're getting ready to leave tomorrow to go to, uh, to do some product testing with our friends from uh, Vista Outdoors and and and, and uh, Federal Premium Black Cloud. And we're also going on a couple turkey hunts here in the next few days. So you're going to see some awesome social media content and assets and, and photography that Tom, but follow him on Instagram at trashashin. R-A-S-S-U-C-H-I-N-E for all those that didn't catch it the first time. Spelling B. I love that movie yeah. with uh, with uh, Jason Bateman. Um, I think it's called Nasty Words or Dirty Words. Definitely. You've got to see it. If you haven't seen it on Netflix, get Dirty Words with Jason Bateman when he's like 40 years old. He finds a loophole in the Spelling Bee, the National Spelling Bee Championships to where he can go compete as a 40-year-old. And he's competing <laughs> against all these 10 and 12. It's awesome, dude. But... um. You know, look up T. Ratchesheen and follow him. He's got awesome life with skiing and photography and his outdoor lifestyle that he lives with his uh, lives with his wife, Christy, and their two beautiful daughters. But, uh, Tom, we appreciate that. Be Thank looking you, for more coming up. I'm going to answer a few more questions, guys, and then I'm going to stop this one. You know, that's what's cool about having a podcast is that they don't have to be a certain length. You don't have to do a certain amount of them every week. We don't follow guidelines but us we have so much pride in it we do want to get the content out there we want to make sure that we are um you know telling this story showing this lifestyle promoting and bragging about this lifestyle not bragging about what we've accomplished or how good we are at anything it doesn't mean about that we brag about this outdoor conservation duck hunting turkey hunting deer hunting goose hunting it doesn't matter predator hunting fishing lifestyle but the outdoors are so much more than that, man. You guys follow Red Bull on Instagram and see what these extreme skaters and snowboarders and bike riders and cliff jumpers. And there's so much stuff going on in this world that you just look at what I do. And I'm just like, oh, man, I'm not accomplishing anything. And that's why this life ain't for everybody. Let's let's find out what's going on out there. There's so much cool that goes on in the outdoors. 
and uh, we want to we want to hear about it. So this podcast is never going to be just about duck hunting or goose hunting or duck calling or goose calling or anything that has to do with hunting. As a matter of fact, we're going to do Traeger, you know, podcast about cooking and grilling and recipes, and we're going to do things with other sports and activities and passions and and that road of life. Uh, it might be a, a Dick Cepec tires representation of the Baja 500 that we're going to talk about. And there's a lot of crossover there too, guys. We got Scotty Lego coming in to do the podcast soon from New Hampshire, and he's a bronze medal winner in the Olympics in snowboarding. He or he won the bronze in the Olympics and the silver in the X games. And he's a, he's a hunter. He's an NRA member. He's a second right promoter, uh, a second amendment supporter. And so with all that said and done, you know, we just, we want to have fun with it. And I got off base there a little bit, but I wanted to make sure that we answered that question on how you can find the podcast. And, um, I'm going to answer one more question about calling and we will come back to the rest of these. When I get back from my little snow goose and Turkey, expedition i'm getting ready to kick off on and uh so let me just uh go with one here real quick date and time the this next podcast we have one that launched yesterday with mr dave stanley here at uh, this life ain't for everybody that's episode six this one will be up here in the next couple days or maybe by tonight or maybe tomorrow i don't know exactly but that was uh for dylan johnson 12 again uh, we got questions coming in um uh, on on this duck calling i'm just going to pick one more um Bobby says from Canada says, is it harder to master the duck call or the goose call? They're both tough. I'd say the vocabulary of the Canada goose is more in depth. There's more to say. There's a lot more sentences that you can run on together with a, uh, a Canada goose call or the Canada goose vocabulary. Uh, but the mallard duck is hard to master. I don't know if anybody's ever mastered it. There are some guys that have, um, I sure as heck haven't, but, uh, and one day I hope to get closer, but, um, I appreciate that question, Mr. Uh, who was that? That was, uh, Mr. Grouse man underscore grouse. I appreciate that. His name's Bobby from Canada. I don't know which one's harder to do, Bobby. I don't know which one's harder to master. They're both tough to get proficient with, but again, it's all about practicing in the off season, finding that call that fits you and pra- listening to the live birds, listening to competition callers, listening to yourself on a playback or re- audio recording device and um and and just become proficient then it's about getting in the blind and reading the birds their body language what their feet do their tail feathers the tips of their wings do what are they doing with their neck what are they doing with their vocabulary or their words back to you so you know think about that and break it down as a science like you would your body and working out in nutrition or what master surgeons do when they're operating on the body operate on them buddy figure that out and put together all those pieces on your operating table your operating board like your scalpel and your stitches and your needles and everything that goes into a successful surgery or operation become a, a a surgeon out there a technician with your duck call or goose call and pretty soon you'll be like john david stanley or hunter grounds and you could go on any stage an open duck a world duck or a world goose uh, or a, a you know a meat duck or a open duck or a world goose and win it have a chance to win it and go into any of those blinds plus turkey snow goose speckle belly goose lesser canada geese cackler canada geese turkeys deer whatever it is these guys can call any game the dameron brothers from kentucky can pretty much call any game with their mouth. We've talked about Maddie Nightingale from California. She can call any species of game with her mouth with no call. So they're both tough to, to master, buddy. Don't, don't make it your goal to master them. Become proficient. Have fun with it. And uh, hopefully that breeds success. And um, the last one for sure that I'm going to answer is from Baker Foul Life 10 on Instagram. When is the ideal time to switch from a chatter or feeding call to a comeback call 
if you have some birds committed and other birds are flying away? That's a heck of a question. You could tell that uh, Mr. Keith Baker, Baker Foul Life Tan. I don't know if he has Foul Life in his Instagram handle because of our show, but if you do, I'm glad, buddy. That makes us proud. If not, well, what a coincidence. But um, let me get a little sip of this water. That's a great question because it mixes in vocalizations with reading body language, knowing what your surroundings are. What are the ducks doing? You might have some on the hook, but you might have some other ones joining in and those ones might not be uh, doing the exact same things as the, the prior ones you were working, but there might be more in there. There might be a beautiful uh, big bull sprig, you know, pintail bull that, that you want for the wall, or there might be some teal. It doesn't matter. But you, he's talking about knowing what your surroundings are and what those different flocks are doing and what sounds to be making on your calls when, and if you're calling it, the ducks coming to you and you're just giving them some soft, just kind of finishing them with some soft. Then this big flock comes from behind you and you see them go overhead. It might be time to let those first ones sit down and hit those ones going away or stand on that first note. And it's just about getting that body language. You don't want to scare the ones out that are, are lighting, but if you're not content with that flock and you're not ready to light into them with your Benelli's and start shooting into them to harvest a few, then do what it takes to get the attention of the bigger flock, the flock with the duck that you want to try to work in. Um, if you're happy with that little flock and you're going to kill three or four of them, then give it to them. And that big flock might not hear you shooting if depending on the wind, or they might come back and they might live to, to come work you another day. So whatever the case is, um, it's a great question because again, it mixes in that vocalization and the body language and your instincts and reading birds and, and knowing what's going on around you during your hunt. And if, if, if we limit out on teal because they come first, or, or are we going to wait for the mallards? And did our scout, our scouting mission tell us that the mallards are really coming off the roost at nine o'clock and, and, and not really work in this area until, you know, 10 to one or whatever it is. And we want to wait for those mallards. So again, it's your instincts. It's about knowing what's going on around you, your, your natural environment, your natural surroundings. And, um, I, I, I don't, that's a very good question, but as far as calling goes and it, it, what I was doing at the beginning of this is kind of the same thing is just like, you got to be proficient in all those different areas of calling to where when it's time to feed chuckle and do separation calls, it's time to do that. When it's time to single cut, do it. When it's time to do a little double cut, more realistic, authentic, mixing in some lonesome hens and some quacks, do it. When it's time to run some greeters together, do it. When it's time to, you know, those ducks are going away and you want to stand on that first note, you're just, and all of a sudden this flock comes over your head. When they stand on that note, Phil Robertson used to say that a long time ago, back in his early days, like it was called the Ten Commandments, of duck calling, whatever. And he would just stand on that first note, stand on. And a lot of times that, that first note will get that lead duck to stand on his wing or her wing and turn and start to come back. It'll get him to, to really like, it's kind of like you're running down the street into, into, into traffic and your mom's not going to go, Hey buddy, you know, get back here. She's going to go, Chad, get your butt back here. She's going to stand on your name, Chad. And she's going to really put passion and emphasis on it. That's what you're telling those ducks. Okay, 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 okay. 
man, whoa, where are y'all going? Come back. It's a party over here. Birds of a feather flock together, right? In some instances, sometimes I think Canada geese don't, but mallard ducks, they, they party on, man. They're, they're, they're greedy and they're selfish and they want to be the first to feed like snow geese. You ever watch live ducks on a dry corn feed? They're jumping over each other, running into each other, flapping each other in the beaks with their wings, sticking their tail feathers and their buttocks in each other's face. And, and they're just real greedy, stingy, rude animals. And, but to get that, to get to what he's saying is a very good question. Again, I'm hoping I'm answering it, but it's a, it's one of those things to where you, you stand on that first note, sometimes get their attention, go back to feed chuckle and just mix it up. But you can't really answer that question until I'm in that hunt with you, buddy. I can't really say, well, this is what you do when, or there's an exact time to do it because I don't know exactly you know, what you're seeing out there or what you're trying to do. Um, he says, have some birds committed and then other birds flying away. Kind of what I just said. And I, I got that from, from Mr. Keith Baker, Baker foul life 10's question. And, and it's, again, it's an awesome question, but it's just, I'm working these ducks. There's seven or eight of them. <laughs> and I hear my buddy in the blind. Hey, there's ducks coming from behind us. It's a huge flock. It's a Mondo wad. It's a super group, man. Let's get these ducks. So they go over our heads. So maybe, you know, self-consciously, I just forget about those seven or eight that we're working because we want to light two, 300 of them in the, in the pocket, right? Or it's a timber hole or it's a dry cornfield or it's an oxbow or a river on the Missouri when the mallards are in there and you're on your big boat blind and you're cooking breakfast. And all of a sudden you hear, when you look up and there's a hundred of them going over your head, I'm going to stand on it. they break down and they turn a little bit now they're interested we got them now my mindset's like man i'm not even worried about those other seven i still got a lot of respect for them i haven't lost any love for those seven they're just not with these 200 and i want to see if i got the skills to pay the bills on these 200 ducks and light them so yeah i'm going to stand on that first note they don't react to them and i'm starting to start we got another proficient caller in blind i'm gonna say get on it who get on the call just be proficient you know be authentic don't call on top of me. We're going to get into team calling on a future podcast. Don't, you know, get on top of each other, but break them down. When you break them down, start your decoy spread in that situation might be big. Well, a bunch of decoys that are active on the water aren't, it's not just going to be one duck talking. So that's why I start to learn that mixing in those greeters and mixing in those lonesome hens and those quacks and that separator call and that feed chuckle. And and now once you broke them down and they're working that spread, they might make three or four passes before they commit or 20 of them might drop their feet and commit right in the middle of the hole, but you want to finish the rest of them. So you let those sit in the decoy and you stay realistic with your timing and reading their body language and their posture and they're posturing up to you and you're like, all right, you're going to give me that. Well, I'm going to do this. Keith Allen's very good at explaining posturing and yep, keep doing it. Yep. Yep. And then when they fear off a little bit, no, 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 no. Don't do that. No, 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 no. And you get them back in line. Yep. 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 And that's kind of what you're doing with that posturing. So a lot goes into that. Keith, awesome question. I don't know if I'm the best to answer that. I might need some help from John David or Keith or somebody someday in the future. I hope that helps a little bit what I was explaining, but just stay authentic.
Now, this is the time when Mr. Leith Lawson starts singing when the money, what you gonna do when the money's all gone. Stay authentic, guys. Stay after it. Practice that. I hope I answered some questions. I truly appreciate the support. I truly appreciate all you viewers and customers of Bandit and Avery and Greenhead Gear and Avery Sporting Dog. I love all of you. I love our fans and our followers and, and our viewers of the Foul Life on the Outdoor Channel. Season 10 is coming up at the end of June, beginning of July. We got some awesome action-packed episodes, guests, and most importantly, stories and memories for you on the new season of the Foul Life. And again, our social media platforms at the Foul Life TV, Dead Dog Walk, and we truly appreciate all the support there. And This Life Ain't For Everybody podcast.com is live. We got merchandise coming. We got great guests coming up. I hope you enjoy this. We will be doing a lot more of these calling podcasts, both duck, goose, maybe even get into a little turkey. I don't know if I'm good enough for that. Might have to bring somebody in to do a couple of them purrs and clucks on a diaphragm or a slate or a glass or a box call. Um, but anyway, guys, this is when Lee starts singing when the money's all gone. Again, he's going to be one of our guests coming up. I hope that helps you today. Stay after him. Practice. I know that these things like Phil Roberts and the duck commander said before, they offend women's ears, but a lot more girls and women are into duck calling and duck hunting in the outdoors today than ever. I'm proud of that. I love that. And um, just practice. Go in your garage. Go in your room. Go in your sound booth. Go in your truck. Be safe out there. Don't text and drive. Support our military. Say thank you for your service when you see somebody with a Korea hat on or, you know, a Korean War hat or a World War II hat on. Just support them, man. They're fighting for our freedoms to be able to do what we do. Love you all. I appreciate it. I hope I was a good enough duck caller, duck call instructor, teacher, mentor to be able to show you a few tricks of the trade today. I'm Chad Belding. This life ain't for everybody. Peace out.